Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, hosted by Grant Cohen of Bloom Growth Studio. Today, we are interviewing Nicholas Freund of Workstream.io, founder and CEO. We're two Bay Area transplants in New York. We were just talking about whether or not we're going to make the bi-coastal uh, Mecca back eventually in our lives, but um, that's not why you're listening to this podcast. We'd love to you know, uh, hear your story, Nicholas, as it were. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Um, but yeah, the, my quick my quick story or my journey, as you mentioned, I'm originally from California, but now I've been living in New York for about 10 years. Before I moved here, I ran finance and analytics at Tesla. Uh, this was way back in the day. So I'm like a Tesla OG, 200 people at the company when I was there. Wow. Uh, and uh, so yeah, I worked on the Model S program. I worked uh, on the original Tesla Roadster program. Uh, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth as an analyst. And then after business school, I ended up in New York. And I worked for a long time at a New York-based SaaS company called Better Cloud, which I joined very early days, 20 people pre-revenue at the company and ran operations there for a really long period of time. Uh, so that's how I ended up in New York, and uh, I ended up starting Workstream.io, really born of lots of the pain points I'd experienced, first as an analyst, someone uh, working with data, analyzing data all the time at Tesla, and then uh, later on at BetterCloud, kind of being that operator supported by those people, and just felt lots of pain points in, in how I worked with our analytics team, how we enabled and empowered our organization on data and analytics, and uh, I felt like there was a real problem that teams were experiencing on how they applied all of the data that's now available to them, uh, and specifically how teams applied it uh, kind of in their day-to-day -day, um, as they were going to market. So yeah, that's how I started uh, Workstream.io, and we've been at it a few years now, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride. Cool. Awesome. And uh, in for the sake of like expository, could you walk us through just like maybe a somewhat layman example of uh, you mentioned empowering a team through data and also the challenging the challenge of applying data? So maybe give us an example and explain why those are necessarily challenging endeavors for any size business to to do. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think when you think of businesses today, the world today. Yeah generally speaking, data is more available than ever before. I don't think that's a controversial statement. You know, modern data technologies, modern technologies in general, they just made it easier for anyone to analyze and consume and share data. And that could mean like data anywhere, right? It could mean in your business intelligence solution. It could mean data that lives within your CRM, right? Uh, that's available via Salesforce reporting or dashboarding, right? And there's many, many, many examples of this. So data is now available to really any anyone with access to the internet. Um, and what it means is that everyone's now expected to find some value in data and be able to incorporate data into their day-to-day, their -day, into their decision-making. It's no longer just like the realm of the Ivy Tower executives. Mm -hmm. So with that, the problem is that uh, just because people know how to access data doesn't mean they know what to do with it. Um, and so when you think of salespeople as an example, maybe customer success people, they generally can struggle to find what's relevant to them, right? So like I have access to all of this data, what is relevant to me in my specific role? And even if they can find it, how do I then go and apply it, right? So I'm a customer success manager and I have access to a bunch of reports in Salesforce Gainsight and let's say Looker, my business intelligence tool, and I'm prepping for a quarterly business review. 
What do I use uh, to best prepare myself to engage with that client and do so in a data-informed way? Data-informed meaning how is that user using the product? Uh, are we hitting its success criteria? Um, where are we in our journey with this customer? And how does that apply or relate rather to all the other customers that like live within my with my book of business or within our broader portfolio? So as an example, those are some of the challenges that a customer success manager or a business person might experience when applying data to their day-to-day. Um, and so ultimately, those problems around applying data is what we focus on solving, and, and we do so through what we call a data knowledge management solution. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So what, like, to in the discussion of pain points, and, it, you know, you painted a picture there of an evolving ecosystem and availability, you know, ease of use of data and I know that, you know, a lot of Workstream's mission is around the analyst as, you know, this archetype of someone that fits in a team and the game is changing and necessarily like uh, teams maybe have an analyst, don't know really how to engage that person or what insights. So curious about like the, the specific pain points that turn companies necessarily to Workstream um, and like how that relates to the analyst. Yeah, of course. I mean, the the first that would pain point that would turn someone to, to us would be feeling all much of those like business user pain points that I was just talking about, right? Like you've got all these business users, you want them to use data. They're struggling with figuring out what to use, what's relevant to them and how to incorporate it, right? Um, so they don't know uh, how to use what's in front of them. The second would be like those analytics teams, those data teams, right? And this could be your sales operations, your revenue operations team that supports uh, those functions. It could be your centralized data team. And um, it could be them experiencing pain points in um, how do I enable all those end users, right? So we've built all of the stuff that's available to them and I'm constantly training people, right? I uh, I don't have a good strategy for training people. And then even if I have done so, I don't have lots of intelligence on what they're doing uh, or what they're using. Uh, and so more broadly, there are these companies uh, that have uh, made all of these investments in these like data and analytics technologies, but they, they just don't see them doing a lot for their business, right? Um, a lot meaning uh, the business applying data to renew or sell more, right? Or uh, operate more efficiently. Um, and so there's, they're not harnessing ROI of their investments the way that they should. So there's a lot of different pain points that that turn people um, kind of towards work stream. But I think, again, it all bakes down to teams have done a lot of work to make data accessible to the business, but then they haven't thought about those last mile problems of how do we enable end users to apply it to their day-to-day and how do we, as analytics people, support those users? Um, and so it's all of those kind of nitty gritty interactions or inter, um, that that are at the heart of, of what we do. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense, um, especially in terms of you know integrating into work streams. I think that I think the original model of data analytics, especially within like a SaaS business, is its own siloed thing. There's also sort of a stigma around it being limited to the B2C. So curious how you find that evolving as well, and maybe like the prevalence of either just data analytics teams in B2B or necessarily just it being another tool in the toolbox for folks that work, you know, anywhere from growth to product to sales to customer success. Yeah, I mean, this is... uh 
very, very loaded part of the conversation, but I'm more than happy to give you my opinions on it, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah. You know, I think the role and reporting of a data and analytics team is something that is much, much debated. My personal opinion is it it, it should not be a siloed function, right? The, um, but there is value in there being a quote unquote, and I hate this buzzword, section, a center of excellence for data and analytics, right? So like, mm -hmm. what's that central data and analytics team? that oversees your data, your data stack, um, and um, is responsible for uh, kind of offering the organization data as a product, right? Uh, and so that is a function that should exist. It probably should exist at any company, regardless of sector, above some uh, type of scale, call it 100 people, I don't know, a few million dollars in revenue as you're starting to get into like your growth phase if we're thinking of tech, right? Um, if you can't, you know, the, the whole, the adage, if you can't measure, you can't manage your business, right? I mean, you're starting to get into the ability to measure all the different parts of your business. You you probably want a data team that's, that's driving all of those initiatives forward. Um, but I think those people, that function, it really needs to be a partnership uh, across the organization. You know, I think there's been the, uh, the rise, and I actually managed some of these teams in my last gig at Better Cloud. You know, the rise of business operations functions, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. revenue operations functions. Kind of insert the name of any function, and then append operations to the end of it. Like you know, there's a million examples of this: sales ops, revenue ops, product operations. I've heard I've heard it run the entire gamut. So I think what you're starting to see is those teams becoming increasingly hybrid roles, right? Um, and so there's an element of project management there. There's an element of special projects there. But I also think there's an element of like reporting and analytics that also becomes the purview of those teams. And they could be named sales operations. They could be named something else. But I think every well-run function probably needs that person or a group of people like that, especially as you grow. And those are the people who are often responsible for that area of the business across those those kind of key vectors. And I think the question then becomes what's the break point between that group and like the data analytics group and, and how does how do those groups work together? I think that's generally going to be idiosyncratic business to business and it can be hammered out business to business. Um, but to me, that's the best model, right? That's the, uh, that's where you want to go. Um, and I think increasingly that's what we'll see in the best run businesses in the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. And to take that sort of concept and apply it to a certain like type of startup. So with Bloom Growth, we work with a lot of C to Series A B2B SaaS startups. And a lot of these folks are either really investing in marketing sales for the first time or expanding past founder-led sales for the first time. You know, investing in their first demand generation growth engines, investing in outbound sales development. And a lot of those uh endeavors are extremely metrics driven, you know, obviously. And there's, you know, a Byzantine tech stack that every B2B SaaS company in implements and it's imperfect. And I wonder like when you think it makes sense to really have more of an, an analytics 
function given it, like as we've defined it, where maybe it's not siloed, maybe there's a BI solution that's maybe more, you know, that's more complex than what you find in your CRM or even some of those add-ons. Like, do you think that's necessarily a pain point driven thing, a growth driven thing? And because I just find that a lot of companies, like it makes sense. Okay. You know, ROAS or investing in sales, I'm going to put a dollar in, I'm going to get $5 out when maybe, you know, companies are penny wise, pound foolish. They're like, I'm going to save on the, the BI tool. I can just, you know, do the numbers with the CRM, but then, you know, you spend more time with the sales folks from the CRM trying to, you know, create essentially BI. So, the, so the underlying question there, all long worded is when does it make sense to really invest in these things, especially if you're a startup, just thinking about this stuff? Yeah. So to me, the you know, we need to invest in a BI or analytics function. I think you want to be careful there because it can get really expensive very, very quickly. Right. Right. Um, Right. And so unless you're really, I think in scaling mode, I don't know if you need that, right. There's a lot that you can get done before you go that far, you know, for me and my last company, we're a B2B company. It was 60, 70 people when we started to invest in that Mm -hmm. team Mm -hmm. specifically. That said, I don't think it's ever too early to start. I think the key is, is to be pragmatic about what it is that you're measuring and how you're measuring it. So take my company, Workstream.io, as an example. Um, we have a business intelligence solution. Uh, because of what I do, I know plenty of amazing data and analytics people. So I have somebody who helps us out on the side uh, with data and analytics, and we have a lightweight a BI slash data visualization tool that we use. And we've implemented like a best in breed data stack. But the majority of what we're doing there is around understanding, you know, the uh, the usage of our product and the adoption of our product. Um, and so we've made the, an intelligent investments there. Uh, but on the other side, I've got a salesperson and I've got a account development person. Um, am I pulling all of the data from HubSpot, our CRM, into our data stack and then presenting it that way? No, like we do all of our reporting still through HubSpot, right? Because it still does what we need it to do. But we have the foundation laid. And um, what the important thing is that we, we've got the data that we need, even if it's spread across a, a couple different places, right? And so I think um, to me, it's never too early to be data-driven. If you're starting to invest in going to market, hiring people, whatever that person is, demand generation, account development, like you really need to be measuring something. Otherwise, how are you going to figure out if you're, what you're doing is working or not? Um, but you probably don't need to make it overly complicated um, as long as you as a founder or your team doesn't spend five hours a week, like manually crunching numbers in a spreadsheet, because that's probably not a good use anyone's time. Right, right. Yeah, some people live for it, though. I've, I've worked with plenty of people who are they're happiest in Excel. Um, I mean, I, I spend yeah. plenty of time in a spreadsheet. I just yeah. I try to spend as little as time as possible because it, it keeps me from doing other stuff. So if I need to right, crunch right. it on a financial model, I'll do it. But I don't want to spend five hours a week crunching numbers to understand the yield of our outbound sales activities, right? Like I can mm-hmm. use a tool to do that for me instead. Fair enough. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so this might be sort of a sillier question, but um, what is, and we can narrow this down to like maybe seed or series A, like early stage companies. What is a very underrated 
metric of like, let's call it growth or just a, a number that you think that companies, and we can limit it again to B2B SaaS, that you think a lot of companies don't take seriously, or this could be your personal contrarian take where, you know, maybe everyone's looking at sales velocity, but it's really net retention over, you know, X period, whatever it may be. Like if you have something in mind. Yeah. One that is interesting to look at is, uh, and this is more of a historical financial metric. Just look at like return on invested capital. And if you think about the world that we've come through with tech, with companies literally raising hundreds of millions of dollars without like a penny of revenue to show for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much money have you raised? And then how much in revenue are you doing? Mm -hmm. You can kind of bake it down, uh, you know, as simply to that, right? And then every year, how much are you burning? And then like, how much revenue does that like bring back to you? Um, and while you can then debate like, well, how much of that was product and engineering? How much of that was go to market? Ultimately, everything you're doing as a technology business is to build product and take it to market and sell it. Uh, and so the, I think the question becomes when, you know, what's the right ratio there as a seed to series A company, right? And what's okay. I don't think the market has actually put a value there, or at least has, at least has done it efficiently. Um, and there's plenty of different examples of, of folks who've done it differently. Um, uh, but to me that, I, th I think that's a really important metric. And if not nothing else, it forces you to think about like, well, what is actually our strategy and, um, how are we actually going to measure success as an operations team completely independent of what you know investors might think or what investors might be willing to back? It's a very interesting choice as somebody that's an operator. Like I could see it an investor saying that. And you know, the the days of low interest rates are maybe behind us. So that I think that's very prudent. I saw like a stat the other day that the and, and not entirely dream uh, you know, one-to-one, -one, but the amount of money that lift. Uh, raised when they were private is less than their market cap right now as a public company. So if you want to talk about ROI on, you know, uh, capital raise, it's, it's very fascinating. Um, cool. And then, so we'd love to also understand what is next for Workstream. I know you raised a big seed round uh, almost a year ago now. Just curious what you see on the horizon. Yeah. I mean, generally we're in heads down building in early growth mode. As you mentioned, we, we raised a a large seed round from Lair Hippo here in New York City, which closed a little bit more uh, than than a year ago. So mm -hmm. right now we're continuing to execute on product and we're uh, just executing on our early go-to-market strategy. Um, we had an early pivot, as many technology companies do, kind of uh, after our first year. Uh, and then it was only actually until, until the middle of last year that we launched our product out of private beta. So mm -hmm. now we're, we're just investing a lot in getting the word out there, um, acquiring more and more customers. And of course, uh, just continuing to show value to, to our customers and to, to all of our partners out there. Um, while it sounds buzzy from a product perspective, we're actually doing it. We're doing a decent amount uh, of investigation right now in disincorporation of stuff like generative AI and AI into our product offering. Um, just the more that we can automate, and the more um, that we can be suggestive to to our users about um, about the type of data that they should be using, um, suggestive about the types of knowledge that might exist for them in our system, like the 
the stronger ROI our, our product has. Um, and um, I think that feeds into some of our, our, our bigger overall goals with the company of um, not just evangelizing our product, but evangelizing that we truly believe that it's something new and that it's a new category that has not existed before. Um, and again, we're calling that uh, a data knowledge, data knowledge management. Um, but the, this the journey of uh, creating a category and teaching the market why they should care about it is a it's a long and arduous one. So it's it's one that we started four or five months ago, and we're still in the early innings of. But we're starting to see some we're starting to see some good early returns on that investment. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. makes sense, yeah category defining i know you're sensitive of uh sounding you know using buzzwords but you know that it definitely like you know evokes a certain thing um also curious about you mentioned go to market briefly uh like what you've seen so far what's been successful or not and, and you know how that informed your pivot as well yeah i mean for us we subs uh you know prescribe or subscribe to Kind of a lot of the thinking for you know b2b products um workflow products of hey find a couple of design partners and work really really closely with them to build a product that they want to use right um and so we did that for a long period of time um so thing uh that type of feedback that type of approach let us be pretty scrappy with our capital all things considered uh, allowed us to do things like pivot and allowed us to really hone in on uh what form factor our product was going to take within the overall vision right um but but what should it actually look like and all of that stuff so to the product that we have today is as much driven by customer input and feedback as opposed to like my 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 big vision so it was interesting for us when we then like launched out of private beta uh, into public beta uh or ga whatever you want to call it um because for a long time we like weren't really trying to get the word out there. It wasn't our focus. We were focused on product, right? Um, and so definitely some interesting lessons there about hey, should we have been focusing on like distribution or creating awareness earlier? And look, of course, hindsight is 2020. I think with us now, it's about what are the most efficient channels to kind of get the the word out there and at mass get feedback from people, right? So we've experimented a lot with this. Um, we do a lot of content, which is not like groundbreaking to say, but we do a lot of content. It's a, a quick and easy way to um, continue to get the message out there and efficient way to, to get eyeballs and what we're doing. We've started to lean a lot into video content specifically, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. um, which is just a format that we've seen a lot of success with. Um, so I actually do a weekly show now on LinkedIn uh, called Data Knowledge Pioneers, and I interview a guest once a week. And it's a great opportunity to leverage our network on LinkedIn, uh, generate awareness, and create uh, reusable assets that we can package up into anything else that we need. And so I think if there's one learning I've had on the go-to-market front uh, is that uh, it's not to underestimate the, the power of video and that... You don't need to kind of do everything that um, is under the sun around content marketing or like early stage marketing. You just kind of have to figure one figure out one thing that works and probably do a bunch of investment in it. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think that makes sense. And there's also like, we were speaking about generative AI, like I'm obviously face down in marketing tools all day. And there's a lot of really interesting generative AI players that can repurpose content for you. Like if you produce a pod, like a, a podcast or a, a YouTube video, it turns it into the other, creates a blog out for you and schedules a LinkedIn post. It's just, you know, repurposing high quality content. So you get a, like a big impact out of what you invest is, you know, really interesting these days. Um, but anyway, by ways of wrapping up, is there anything else that you have for us that we kind of do like an asks and gives uh, to the audience at the end of the podcast? Yeah, I mean, the the asks and gives are um, if you're a leader, if you um, run a go-to-market function, you run a data function, and you're, you're feeling pain points around like empowering your organization uh, with knowledge, check out our product workstream.io. Um, email me. I'm nick at workstream.io. Uh, would love to talk with you. And the, the get is there's a freemium version of our product available. So go. go check out the product. Um, there's no risk to, to trying it out. Uh, it's super easy to, to onboard and get a, get a sense for what it does. Uh, and if you have questions, just let me know. Cool. Nicholas, thank you so much for the time today. Of course, Grant. Thanks so much for having me.